you have your Bibles, and I sure hope that you do, would you turn with me to Revelation 5, beginning in verse 1, the text reads, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll, to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it, look in it, at it, in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, which we did that exact same thing together this morning. They sang, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased People For God, by your blood from every tribe and language and, and people and, and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word from Revelation chapter 5. Folks, I don't typically go on the websites or the apps that collate a lot of information, like crowdsource information from neighborhoods. Some of you probably do, and that's fine. These apps, these apps are great. They're a great way to keep up with maybe what's going on in the neighborhood, maybe some crime that is happening, but I don't often see them. But I am on a couple of email lists because I don't know how to get off email lists. Do you? If you do, let me know. Don't get off the churches, though. But I noticed one this week that caught my attention. Because they, they try to hook you in. Half the time, the, whatever the title is, has nothing to do with what the post is about. But this one did. And the post said, ISO, which I've learned is in search of. Friends. In search of friends. Local friends. It was effectively an ad from a man looking for new friends. He had lost a couple of friends le- recently. One to uh, COVID and one in an accident. And he was using the platform to try to make new friends. The, the ad read specifically, ISO, local friends, preferably long-term. I recall a few years ago reading a story from Lisa Turkhurst. I love her stories. And she told a story of a time where there was a party that she was not invited to. And she really wanted to be invited. People who were throwing this party were really easy to be with. And they were so creative. And it was a cooking party. So she really wanted to taste the food at this party. And she knew about the party because she had seen the invitation for the party on a refrigerator of, a, of another friend who was invited. And the, the, the invitation was so cute. 
is what she said. So neatly done. And I, I understand this a little bit because we hosted our daughter's sixth birthday party this weekend. And I, I saw in Leslie Ann wanting to make everything so cute. It was Leslie Ann, but she didn't feel like it was cute enough. But this invitation was super cute, as Lisa Turker said. But she didn't get one. And that was the problem. And it was three days out from this party. And, and she thought, well, maybe my invitation just hasn't arrived yet. But it, it didn't. And a couple of days before, she, she said this. She said, I lost the pep in my rally. And I realized I was, in fact, not on the guest list. And when she said when she ran into one of the hostesses of the party on the day before, she threw out one last lob of a Hail Mary and just said, what are your plans this weekend? What are you up to? She said, oh, we're just getting together with some friends, but we'd love to catch up with you guys after church on Sunday. Oh, that's when the realization just crushed her. She hadn't been invited simply because they hadn't thought to invite her. Now, not being invited to a party, it pales in comparison to some of the battles that you guys, my friends, are fighting, battling this morning. I get that. I, I, I do a lot of perusing on Sunday morning and praying for you, and I know many of your stories, and I know they go beyond that with what we are fighting this morning. But to not be invited, to feel lonely, to feel alone, stinks. I've been there. I know how it can feel. It's where hopelessness thrives to feel lonely. And here we are, our writer here in Revelation 5. If you guys know, it's, it's the Apostle John, and, and he is exiled. And alone on the island of Patmos, he is effectively imprisoned there with very little hope to ever return to ordinary life. But there was grace for John on the island of Patmos. You see, God needed John's full attention. And on Patmos, well, he got it. What John is experiencing here. Is a, is a detailed picture. And we get caught up in the details in Revelation. That it's, it's less about painting a picture of exactly how something's going to be someday. It's actually nothing like that. It's a picture of what John is seeing. It's a picture of how John is caught up in, in worship to the point where these vivid images are inundating him and he can't help but write them down. And to write them down and to explain them to us and for us to, to live uh, with them and to read them and to imagine them ourselves is to get a picture of how overcome and overwhelmed John was in these moments when God had his undivided attention. And he is experiencing a picture of God on God's rightful throne. And, and, and in God's hand, God is holding a scroll. And in verse 3, some of those most harrowing words in Scripture, John laments that no one in heaven or, or on earth or, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or, or even to look in it. What, what, is, what happens when, when, this is, when this is named, when this is realized, when this is, is imagined? It, it, John is, is weeping. 
What if all that is being revealed to to John, what if it isn't true? So he's he's weeping or or worse, what if it is true? But we aren't invited. What good is it if Jesus is on the throne in perfect holiness, but we cannot partake in that holiness with Jesus? Exasperated is how I would describe John. That's what, that's what John is here in having this, this vision. He's exasperated. He's, he's helpless. He's, he's hopeless. Now, 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had lamented that the scrolls, well, that they were sealed and that also no one was qualified to unseal them. And the answer or the, 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 what it lands on the prophet Isaiah's words, he's trying to get across to the Israelites, is one of, it's an answer that is much more indifferent. Look with me at verse 11 and 12. It'll be on the screen. This is in Isaiah 29. For you, the entire vision will be like the words of a sealed document. Sound familiar? And if it's given to one who can read and he's asked to read it, he'll say, well, I I can't read it because it's sealed. Can't open it. If the document is given to one who cannot read and, and he is asked to read it, he will say, I can't read. So this obstinance, this, we're not gonna, we're not gonna read that. Don't miss that John's countenance, his, his posture here is entirely different from the Israelites that Isaiah is trying to get across. John doesn't sound like those in Isaiah. John cares so deeply. He, he longs in this moment. It's ironic because he's all by himself and likely always will be, he thinks. But he longs to know what God is up to in the world. So church, I have to ask you today, do you, do you share this? Do you long to know what God is up to in the world? Or are you just getting by? It's ironic. I mean, part of, part of what we have, the truth we have to tell each other is we likely won't understand why everything is the way it is until Jesus is with us and can explain it to us. But it doesn't mean we don't seek to. It doesn't mean we don't seek greater understanding in this long and this visceral wanting to know what God is up to in the world is the process of imagining, well, what God is up to in the world. The scrolls are scripture and they reveal God's mission in the world. It's not always as clear as we would like it. Certainly not in Revelation. But that is a primary function. We talked about this last month in September. And we talked about how important it is for us to be immersed in the scrolls, in Scripture. They reveal God's mission in the world, God's God's kingdom. The kingdom is where things are as God would have them to be. Where where God's mission is going forward, as unimpeded as possible, even though the world is, is an imperfect place still, but the kingdom is where things are as God would have them to be. So I ask you, what would things look like in the world if Jesus really were the king? Can you imagine what things would look like if, if, if things were really the way Jesus would have them? And this emphasizes the importance, it, the importance on 
us knowing what Jesus is like and immersing ourselves in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their revelation of what Jesus was like, the things he said and did and taught, and the way he moved about and loved others, for us to have a deep understanding of what he was like is to imagine what things need to be like because Jesus is the king. What would the world be like if Jesus were running the show, y'all? We got to want that. John's getting a picture of that here. We've got to want that because there's work to do. Hear me, the scrolls don't exist just so that we believe correctly. So that we get good marks on our report card. The scrolls are sealed from centuries of debate about who God is and what God is like with little to no obedience at all. A surefire way to get the scrolls to stay sealed is just to be about, you know, ethereally what God might or might not be like and to never dig in and try to see that the world is more like God would have it to be. Verse 13 in Isaiah 29 says, these people approach me with their speeches, which I'm doing that right now. If my heart's not in the right place, this is futile. But through the Spirit, Isaiah says, these people approach me with their speeches and honor me with, to honor me with lip service. Yet their hearts are so far from me. And human rules direct their worship of me. Y'all, Christians, those of us following and being formed by Jesus, we're... We're supposed to be peculiar. We were up uh, where Oksana and Tanner got married a few month, months ago now, and it was Amish country, and where Leslie Ann and I uh, stayed up there, we were very near some Amish folks. I don't know if you've been around them. We, we traveled uh, to northern Alabama for fall break, and we rode through Lawrenceburg, and you always see horse and buggy. You know, we play a game. We try to see who's the first one that can see them. There's Amish folks all around us, and we likely don't know any of them. I remember we were up in Ohio, and we saw uh, an Amish family in their wagon at the shell station on the corner in Strasbourg, and the, the children, the little Amish children, uh, full, full garb, just crushing a Hunt Brothers pizza from the, uh, which made me smile, because I love those gas station pizzas, too. I'll even stop and get one of those ham and cheese prepackaged sandwiches at the gas station on our way to, on vacation. And Leslie Ann just really can't handle that, but I think they taste good. Our Amish friends are peculiar, right? They're different. And I bring them up because we as Christians are supposed to be more peculiar than we are. The problem that John is imagining in this text, I believe, can be can help be helped to explained by the fact that there wasn't anyone peculiar enough to open those scrolls. What what we have in the world at any particular point in history all too often is a whole bunch of people who are not peculiar enough to open the scrolls. We're just too much like the world around us. So they stay sealed. 
And things just kind of move forward. And the world goes on knowing little, perhaps very, very little about what God is like. And what God is doing. Perhaps even trying to do in the world around us. There are two things that are true here, I believe. And they're not competing, they're complementary. John is weeping, he's lamenting, he's screaming, he's crying out over no one being able to open these scrolls. But, but, but don't miss verse 6. We'll get to it in just a second. But, but, but Jesus can open these scrolls. Jesus did open these scrolls. Jesus does open the scrolls. So be encouraged. And if you know him, if you follow him, if you have said in your heart within a community, and I hope it's this one, it could be this one, that you trust that Jesus is the way for you to be in right relationship with God, then you're saved. You are with God already and you forevermore will be. And this is possible precisely because Jesus has opened the seal. But to follow, to follow and be formed by Jesus, to make this declaration in your life, to be saved involves a next step. And it will make you peculiar by the world's standards. And you may not get invited to every party. You probably won't. And what is also true here, what we've alluded to already, is no one else can open the scrolls. There's no one peculiar enough. And John is groaning over this. Where are we in the world, church? Where are we making a difference? Where are we being Jesus for others? The fact that Jesus has opened the scrolls, has opened it up for the church to to literally lean into who Jesus is and what he's like and to help the world see. This is, listen, we don't groan like John. He's imagining the worst in this moment and we don't have to anymore because this has been done. The vision is here. Seals open. We do not have to be as despondent, as helpless as John imagined himself to be. We have purpose. If anything, Revelation should send us from here this morning, dedicated to imagining all the creative ways that we can participate in God's kingdom. And then it will bring us back here next week for worship. We will worship. And if we're worshiping properly, and I know I'm speaking to the choir because you guys are all here, but we're not here every week. And if we're worshiping correctly, we are worshiping together. And if we are not drawn together together, we're worshiping somewhere else. And if that's the case, I fear, church, what far too many people who think they are following and being formed by Jesus are actually worshiping. John longs to know how and when God will bring about complete salvation, the redemption of all things. And the answer is that is what God is already doing. And he has asked us to be a part of it. And there is no time to waste. One of my closest friends is a diabetic. It came upon him when he was 12 years old. He was at a Jacksonville Jaguars game and he was on his third uh, souvenir cup of Sprite. 
and he just could not quench his thirst. And he told his dad what was going on and they went to see the doctor. And since that day, 30 years ago, he has dealt with diabetes. On January 11th, 1920, January 11th, 1922, Leonard Thompson, a 14 year old boy with diabetes who lay dying at the Toronto General Hospital was given the first ever injection of insulin. Perhaps you know this story. However, the the, uh, extract was so impure that Thompson suffered a severe allergic reaction and further injections were canceled. But over the next 12 days, a man named James Collop worked day and night to, per- to perfect this ox pancreas uh, extract. And a second dose was injected on January the 23rd, and it was completely successful. Not only having no obvious side effects, it worked. And at this time in history, children dying from diabetes were kept in large wards, often with 50 or more patients in a ward, mostly comatose. Grieving family members would often be in attendance just waiting for their child to die. But in one of medicine's most dramatic moments, Dr. Collip went from bed to bed, injecting an entire ward with the new purified extract. And before they reached the last dying child, the first few were already awakening from their coma to the joyous exclamations of their families. Again, John is weeping because of, maybe he's imagining every example of helplessness and hopelessness that has ever been. And that continues to be. And in his distress, there is someone, there is a friend, there is a neighbor, there is a church member in his vision that comes to him. And says, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. One of my sons, a while back, he was, he was just realizing that he gets upset a lot. And in these moments, he described to him, he said, Dad, I don't want to cry in these moments, but I just can't help it. I can't stop myself from crying. Well, John's friend says, don't weep. Instead, look. Whether you're crying or not, I found it a beautiful testimony that my son said, I just can't help it. I found that true. John's friend is saying, Don't weep or maybe don't just weep. Instead, look, verse six, then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures. uh, And among the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. Verse seven, he he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. John one twenty nine. And John's gospel said the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a primal cry from John. But church, we don't have to endure that primal scream because of what Christ has done. No matter what is going on in your life, there is one who can take the scroll 
His name is Jesus. And I must ask you if he is on the throne in your life. The insulin was the children's only hope. But John's revelation is that Jesus is ours. No one can actually know what God is up to in the world apart from Jesus. And we are all invited, I assure you, church, to a party that supersedes all other parties that is being thrown by Jesus. He is the host. He is God. And he is making all things right, all things new. Make no mistake. That is what John saw on this fateful day. That is what he so faithfully wrote down. And it is exactly what remains true for us today. In your worst moments, hang on to it. In your best moments, hang on to it. Let it be that which drives your worship. Let it be the object of all that you are. Christ is beckoning us to live a more peculiar, better life. Maybe you're weeping today. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you feel apart from God's holiness. You're not. Let's pray.